Well, if you are a football fan, you've probably enjoyed the last week. Uh, we have had bowl games galore, uh, topped by the Gophers' big victory in the Outback Bowl. I'm sure uh, many of you were watching that. And then uh, last night, the NFL playoff game started, and there's been some awesome games. Uh, if you saw the Houston Texan game yesterday, uh, the Texans versus the Bills, I mean, down to the wire, into overtime. And then the game after that, the, the Patriots playing against the Tennessee, Tennessee Titans. The Titans knocked off the Patriots, and the dynasty for good. I mean, it's like Star Wars destroying the Death Star. I mean, amazing. But you know, it, 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 if you were watching any of those games, I found it interesting as I was watching uh, these games this past week, there was a pivotal moment in every game where the quarterback of one or other team would come running off the, off the field onto the sidelines and they would go over to the bench and they would pick up a telephone behind the bench and make a phone call. And it was interesting because if you don't know football, you might be thinking to yourself, what in the world are they doing on a telephone? I mean, are they ordering a pizza? Are they, you know, saying hi to mom or something? But for those of you who know football, what they're doing on that telephone is they are talking to the coaches up in the press boxes. There are coaches on each team that sit up above the field in the press boxes, a hundred yards above the field, overlooking the whole stadium, and from that vantage point, those coaches can share a perspective with the quarterback to help them understand what the defense is doing to try to stop them, to help them formulate a strategy, to develop a plan to overcome the challenges that they're facing. And it's that perspective that is so valuable and important to that quarterback as he leads his team down the field. Perspective changes everything. Now, now this morning, we're going to look at a letter from a man who understood the value of perspective. We're going to be studying in the coming weeks the book of Philippians written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was an individual who understood the value of perspective. And Paul understood especially important was the value of God's divine perspective overseeing his watchful care and providence over our lives and the importance of us looking to God and his vantage point and his perspective to make sense of the circumstances we find ourselves in our lives. And this was something that Paul came to discover and learn, and it's something that all of us can benefit from tremendously as well, the recognition of God's divine vantage point. Now, we're blessed this morning because Paul, from his perspective 2,000 years ago, is going to share some of this divine vantage point with us in the coming weeks as we study the book of Philippians. Paul had the unique opportunity to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in communion with God, to reveal God's truth to you and I, so that we too could share in God's divine perspective of what's taking place in our lives and in our circumstances. And so this is going to be a great study for us as we look at the Apostle Paul's teaching here in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a very interesting book. Let me just share a little background on this, on this book with us. The, the church in Philippi that Paul wrote this letter to was the very first church planted in Europe. The very first Christians in Europe came out of this church in Philippi. And for, in fact, the very first Christian in Europe was a woman named Lydia. 
She, she was a merchant lady who traded in purple dye, and she was a God-fearing Gentile who Paul came into the, the city of Philippi and was able to share the gospel, point her to Jesus. She was the very first convert in Europe. And then after Lydia, we're told in the book of Acts, chapter uh, chapter 16, I believe it is, yes, Paul's second missionary journey after Lydia was converted, the next convert in Philippi was a demon-possessed slave girl. And then after her, Paul and his partner Silas were sent to prison. And there was this miraculous prison escape where God broke open the, the jail doors with an earthquake. And if you remember the story, the prison guard was about to commit suicide because he thought all the prisoners were going to escape. And Paul saved his life, told him no. And he explained the gospel to this man. And this man became a follower of Jesus. And his whole household became a follower of Jesus. And, and this is the beginning of this church that Paul planted in what is today northeastern Greece, the very first church in Europe. This church had a very special place in Paul's heart from the very beginning. Uh, Out of all the churches we know of in the New Testament, Paul had a special love and appreciation for these people. And and we're going to see more of why that was this morning as we look to the book of Philippians. But it was a dear church in Paul's heart. Paul hadn't seen this church in over 10 years. This church was planted in 50 AD, about 20 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 10 years had gone by since Paul planted this church. He now finds himself sitting in a prison in Rome. It's about 60 AD, 30 years after the time of Jesus. Paul's been arrested by the Romans. He's in prison for a period of about two years. And it's during this time that the Philippians, out of their love for Paul, send a messenger to Paul with gifts of support and encouragement. And Paul then in turn writes the book of Philippians back to them as a letter of thanks for their care and provision for him, but also to encourage them in the trials that they were facing as a church in this Roman empire that was growing increasingly hostile to the Christian faith. So, so this is the background. This is the context. Now, this morning, I'm going to do something that we don't usually have an opportunity to do. We're going to read the entire letter of Philippians this morning. And why are we going to do that? Because when the original church in Philippi would have received this letter, they would have sat down together and they would have read Paul's entire letter together. Uh, you know, because of time, we generally kind of pick these letters apart piece by piece, week by week. We're going to do that in the coming weeks. But today, I thought it'd be great for us, especially because this is a shorter letter, to get the big perspective that the original church in Philippi would have had when they received this letter from the Apostle Paul. So we're going to read Paul's letter this morning, and then I want to come back after reading his letter. And I've got just about a five-hour sermon here today. I'm just kidding. I want to highlight two special observations that we find after getting this big picture perspective from the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to follow along. I'm just going to read and I want you to listen, not even on the screen today. I just want you to listen as if you're a member of this church in Philippi. You haven't seen your founding pastor in over 10 years. You know he's been in prison in Rome and you're anxiously awaiting word from him. And this is what he writes to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your life and manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, so that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this 
or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and Syntech to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
the letter to the Philippians. It's pretty interesting to read a whole letter straight through from beginning to end. I can imagine you have some questions after hearing that letter read, and we're going to break down this letter in the coming weeks and, and look specifically at these sections and the powerful teaching that Paul conveys here to the church in Philippi. You probably recognized a number of verses and references in that letter that I read. It's interesting, Philippians has been said to contain more life verses for Christians than any other letter in the New Testament. It's just full of powerful truth, encouraging truth that many Christians have held on to for 2,000 years as, as special verses to encourage and inspire them. You know, it's interesting when we read this letter, it doesn't give you the impression of a man who's writing from prison, does it? It doesn't convey the idea of a man who has been languishing in a Roman prison for nearly two years at the time of writing this letter. In fact, as we read Paul's letter to the Philippians, we get the impression that Paul, even though he had been physically imprisoned, he's a man who has found a freedom to soar beyond any boundaries the world might impose on him. This was a man who was abounding with joy. You may have noticed, as I read, this, this theme of joy repeatedly coming up over and over. In fact, Paul speaks of joy over 16 times in his letter to the Philippians. It's a major theme throughout this letter. Paul had discovered the secret of true joy. This morning, I just want to highlight for us two, two ways that Paul had discovered the true secret of joy. We, we see it right at the outset of Paul's letter in verses 1 through 8, and we're going to see Paul expound on it over and over again as we go through the book of Philippians. What was the secret of Paul's joy? Number one, Paul had discovered joy in Christ. Paul discovered joy in Christ. His joy was rooted in his recognition of his identity as a follower of Jesus. And what was Paul's identity? Well, friends, if you got your Bibles, look at verse 1. Right at the outset, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul saw himself as a servant of Jesus. Paul was many things in this world. He had many degrees. He had many skills. He had many jobs. But at the core of his life, his fundamental identity was as a servant of Jesus Christ. The word servant in the Greek that Paul uses here is the word doulos. It, it, it can convey the idea of a servant, a, a bond servant, a slave. But Paul saw himself as a willing servant, a joyful servant, bonded for life to his master, Jesus Christ. And his service to Jesus was rooted in his experience of God's amazing grace. We're going to talk more about that as we go through the book of Philippians, how Paul's experience of grace changed everything in his life, changed his priorities, changed his values, changed his focus and direction in life. You know, friends, here in America, the, the land of the free, we often bristle at this idea of being identified as a servant or a slave. You know, I, I don't want to be anybody's servant, right? I, I don't want to be a slave, but friends, it's important that we recognize this morning that all of us are a slave to something. We all serve our masters. 
And you're either going to be a slave to the idols of this fallen world, or you will be a servant of your creator, Jesus Christ. But we all serve a master, whether you realize it or not. It was very interesting. Just recently, I ran into a friend I hadn't seen in over 10 years, a brother in Christ. In catching up with my friend, he shared with me the the heartbreaking story of how over the last decade he had found himself addicted to sex. It started out as a porn interest that became an addiction that ended up turning into regular visits to strip clubs that ended up seeking out prostitutes online and in the back alleys of Minneapolis and St. Paul. He ended up losing his job. He ended up losing his family, his marriage, all because of his addiction to sex. It was very interesting as he shared his story with me. He talked about how the world would look at these things like sex and pleasure, and the world would say, this is where joy is found. This is true freedom. But for him, his experience said nothing but heartache and pain. He noted to me, he said, Jason, I just wish I would have trusted God's guidance from the very beginning. You know, friends, your idol might not be sexual sin, but maybe it's money. Maybe your master today is your job. Maybe you're a slave of your possessions, your stuff. Maybe you're a servant to sports or your body image or alcohol or other substances, or maybe it's the pursuit of popularity. But friends, I'll tell you something this morning. This fallen world is full of idols, masters looking to enslave you. They'll promise joy and freedom, but they'll only deliver greater bondage. This is what Paul understood. This is one of the key messages we're going to be seeing throughout the book of Philippians. True joy in life comes by recognizing our identity as servants of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. Even back in the Old Testament, King David in Psalm 16, Psalm 16:11, David says, You, Lord, make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, the repeated testimony of Scripture from beginning to end is that true joy in life is only found in committing your life to the service of Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is the master and we are his servants. Friends, Paul discovered that secret, and it brought great joy into his life. The second theme that we see in our letter to the Philippians and today specifically, the the second secret to Paul's joy was not only did he find joy in Christ, but he found joy in camaraderie with the people of God. He found joy in camaraderie. Paul here in verses 3 through 5, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Until now, Paul had a special bond with this Philippian church because he viewed them as partners in the gospel. The the word partnership that Paul uses here is the word koinonia. It's a word that you'll find used in many churches for adult Bible fellowship groups or Sunday school classes. This is our koinonia group. What does koinonia mean? It simply means partnership. It, It means fellowship or a mutual communion, a close association. 
But, but understand here, friends, this wasn't a fellowship in the sense of a group of Christians who got together occasionally for a potluck. That's not the kind of fellowship that Paul's talking about. Paul here is talking about a diverse group of Christians who were passionately committed to one another and committed to a common cause, the mission of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite books of all time and, and then the subsequent movie series that came out with it, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. One of the greatest books. It sold over 150 million copies. One of the best-selling novels of all time. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. At the very least, go and check out the movie sometime. But a powerful story of this band of brothers called the Fellowship of the Ring that come together, a, a diverse group made up of hobbits and elves and dwarfs and human warriors, and they band together to fight the forces of evil and the Dark Lord Sauron who was overtaking Middle-earth. And it was this diverse fellowship that would fight the forces of evil. And Tolkien, who was a Christian, patterned the fellowship of the ring on the New Testament image of the church. He took the New Testament image of the church, this diverse group of people, different ages, different backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, who come together united in a common mission, a common bond, a commitment to one another and to the gospel. And it was this partnership that Paul had in mind as he looked at the Philippian church, and it was their partnership with him that brought him great joy, even in the midst of desperate circumstances in a prison cell in Rome. It was joy in Christ and joy in his brothers and sisters who had partnered with him in the gospel. You know, friends, it's really interesting. The bond between brothers and sisters in Christ is a bond like no other. It's a spiritual bond, a supernatural bond, and it's a missional bond. I, I, I've been a part of a lot of groups in my life. I've been a part of sports teams and, and different special interest groups. And, but I'll tell you something, the friendships and bond that I have with brothers and sisters in Christ who I have partnered with in service of the gospel, those bonds have stood the test of time like no other. In fact, just this past week, I was talking to a couple guys who I used to serve as their youth pastor when they were in high school. These are guys I, I, I hardly see anymore. In fact, these two guys that I talked to this week, I hadn't seen in over 10 years. Today, they're young men in their late 20s. They've got wives and kids. They're serving Jesus. Man, and it was just so, such a joy to reconnect with these brothers. And there's going to be a lifelong bond there with these guys. Why? Because we've served Christ together. We've been on mission trips together. We've been on the front lines in common cause for the gospel of Jesus Christ together. I think in my life today of all of the most important friendships in my life, all the most important friendships in my life are brothers and sisters in Christ, people that I've gotten to know in church, people that I've served with in missions, served with at church for the cause of the gospel. Friends, I'm telling you, we all long for relationships of meaning, of depth, and you won't find them anywhere else to this nature than in the church because they are supernatural relationships. Paul's going to unpack this more in the letter to the Philippians, and we're going to study this idea further as we go forward. But I, I just want to encourage you this year as we start out 2020, maybe this year will be for you the year that you take a step of faith. And maybe you will use this year to, to simply say a prayer, Lord, where would you have me serve? 
I'm ready to serve on mission with your church. If you want to grow in your faith, friends, I tell you, there is nothing that will help you grow in your faith and grow in the depth of your relationships with others than by partnering with them in service to Jesus Christ. We got lots of opportunities here at Lakes for you to serve. As a growing church, man, we have constant needs, all right? But that's a good thing. I mean, we need more ushers. We need more greeters at the front doors. We need more people serving in children's ministry. We need more people on our worship team. We got countless ways to get connected. And I tell you, if you were to ask any of those people serving in these various areas, I would be willing to bet you they would tell you that some of their best friends in life are those people that they serve together with for the cause of the gospel, whether it's in children's ministry or on the worship team or as ushers. Serving together will help you grow together and grow in your faith like nothing else. So this, this morning, I want to encourage us as a church, as we look ahead to 2020, I want to encourage us to look to these secrets of joy that Paul conveys throughout his letter to the Philippians. Joy in Christ, joy and camaraderie in Christ. And may we as a church this year be a people who, like the Apostle Paul, are abounding in joy because we too have embraced these secrets in our own lives, discovering joy in Christ, joy and camaraderie with others. And may our community look at the people of Lakes Free and say, what's going on at that place? What is different about their lives? May that joy be so bountiful, so overflowing in us that people can't help but take notice. Joy in Christ, joy in camaraderie. Let's close in prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the book of Philippians that we're going to be studying here in the coming weeks. And I pray, Lord, that as we had the opportunity to read through this letter today, that this word would serve as an encouragement to us, that it might uh, compel us to, to even individually take a deeper look into this book, to dig into it, to study it, that in the coming weeks as a church together, as we study Paul's letter to the Philippians, that, that we might grow in our understanding of his divine perspective over life, that we too might share in that divine perspective, that today, Father, as we leave here, we might be uh, compelled to experience greater joy first in you as we seek to serve you, but joy secondly in camaraderie with other brothers and sisters in Christ, serving together for the cause of the gospel. God, that's what your church is about. That's what we are about as Lakes Free Church. And I pray that everyone here would know that great privilege and joy of partnering together for the cause of the gospel. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I want to leave you with these words from Ephesians chapter 3. Why don't you stand for our benediction this morning? The Apostle Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you, friends.